glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me then, if you would, please. Let's read together Revelation 1, verses 9 through 20. The Bible says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw uh, seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he said, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Thank you. You may be seated. There is so much encompassed. I'm I'm finding as I study this book for the purpose of teaching it and preaching it, every few verses there's a phrase that makes my mind go back into the Old Testament someplace. Uh, You come down to the fact that we see the Lord Jesus and his hair is white like wool and how many analogies are drawn from that one simple truth and what that symbolizes about his wisdom. The hoary head is by Wisdom, Proverbs tells us, it's gained that way. It's a crown of honor to an old man to have a hoary head. The white hair speaks of his eternal, his eternal uh, age, that he is, he is the first and the last and speaks of his great wisdom. There's so many things as we go through as he's referring to himself as Alpha and Omega again and again. It takes us back to the book of Isaiah where we talked about there are truths, and I believe this. I think what I'm trying to say is as we work our way through the book of Revelation, if you're familiar with your Bible, you're going to be reading about two witnesses as we come later on, I believe to chapter 13, and we get to those two witnesses. That ought to remind you that in Zechariah, we're told about these two witnesses all the way back in the book of Zechariah, and here's the fulfillment of that in the book of Revelation. There's, there's a number of references, so the final book of the Bible is going to cause you to think back through the rest of the Bible. It, there are so many biblical references in the book of Revelation, 
that it just is one more stamp of the Holy Spirit of God on this book, that this is the final book of Revelation. It's the finishing book of Revelation. That's why at the end of it, it not only says not to add to this book, we would understand that to mean not to add to the book as a whole. The Revelation 1 starts with these things right in a book. There was a book all the way back begun in Genesis 5 of the generations of Adam. And then Moses is told to write in a book. And Joshua is told to write in a book. And Jeremiah is told to write in a book. And then throughout the New Testament, we have instructions for the New Testament writers to write these things. Here's John writing in a book. We find God's choice of communicating with his people is writing in a a book. It's no wonder that in the 21st century today, God's people still have a a book. It's not just... May I say this? Once you lose the, the truth that the Word of God is encompassed in this book, then you have to determine what the Word of God is by your own imagination or your own emotion. To many people, the Word of God is nothing more than the strongest sense in their bosom. Whatever I feel strongly about, about God, that must be the truth. Don't trust yourself. God gave us a book, amen? And all the way here in the last book of the book, we are finding that it's going to take us back through the Bible. We've already dealt with how Revelation correlates so directly to the book of Genesis, how they are so interwoven with one another. Uh, When you start taking any part out of the Bible, it loses its harmony and continuity and so I just, I love the Bible, amen? And every time we study the Bible, we ought to love it more. And I believe when it says, blessed is he that readeth in verse 3, this is one of the blessings. You want God's final seal on the book as a whole. Read the final book, believe the final book, and it'll be a blessing to us. As any other book of the Bible, it's only going to be understood from the eye of faith. We have to believe God to understand what he's saying. I see this, by the way, one of the values of witnessing to people is seeing how the Word of God works or how it won't work in the life of a person. Sometimes I'm dealing with people trying to help them to understand. The Bible seems so plain, and yet you'll be saying something to someone, they're like, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. So, so let's approach this a different way. Let me give you an illustration. And you give an illustration that brings the Bible to light. And then you give a Bible illustration. You use a second, a third, and a fourth text that says the same thing. And you think in your mind, the mouth of two or three or four or five witnesses every word should be established. And they go, I just, I just don't get it. And about that time, a light flips on and says, Ah, I know what's going on here. You just don't believe it. It's not that you don't get it. You can't get it because you don't believe it. The Bible must be approached by faith. Having said all of that tonight, verse 9 we're going to begin tonight focusing on verse 9, and we might not make it past verse 9. We're going to begin focusing tonight on John's character. It's very interesting to me that John is the person that the Lord selected to write the final book of the Bible. Uh, the Bible doesn't record this, so we won't press it as doctrine for sure, but history tells us John is the only apostle that did not die a death of persecution. He died a, a natural death of old age. Uh, it's, it's believed, again, we won't press it because it's not recorded here, but the book of Revelation was written around A.D. 90. Uh, for those who believe that the tribulation period happened in A.D. 70, they reject that and say it was written somewhere around A.D. 60 or something like that. I think you have to stretch pretty far to come up with that kind of, of ideology. You've you got to stretch some things and want some things to be true to be able to think that way. But having said that, John, verse, verse 9 tells us a great deal about John's character. And I don't think we would be wise to, to skip over that. God uses vessels like John. You notice some things about John 
when you study the Gospel of John, when you notice 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, for so many here tonight who are students of your Bible, if you were to, to reference something that stands out to you about the Apostle John, whether in his writings in the Gospel or in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John or even here in Revelation, what would be a theme that would jump out to you? And there's not a wrong answer here and, you know, unless we're off in left field somewhere, but what would be a theme that would jump out to you about John and his, what is an emphasis to him in his writings? There it is. Thank you. Not, it's not me. <laughs> it's not about me. Okay, that would be one theme. He will not refer to himself in the first person in the Gospel of John. He is the disciple whom Jesus loved. We'll see that here tonight. It's not about him. Okay, what would be something else? Yes. So his emphasis on Christ is that he is the Son of God. That's absolutely in, in John's Gospel and in First, Second, Third John. Another theme that, that comes out is he emphasizes love. In the Gospel of John, in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Now that goes right in, fa- right in hand with Jesus as the Son of God. And that means it's not about me, <laughs> right? Uh, let, let me put me on the back shelf and the back burner. Love decreases one's view of itself, right? Charity and humility are inseparable. They're inseparable, okay? So his emphasis on love. And then there's a, another theme that comes through all of his epistles, and that is on truth. To my knowledge, he's the only writer that uses the word record, This is the record that God has given. This is the record. John is extremely concerned that we would understand that what he's writing is a record. This is is not my opinion. This is not my hearsay. Now, other apostles emphasize that. Paul emphasized it. Peter did. But John would say in 1 John 5, this is the record that God hath given us of his Son. In In John chapter 20, he talks about many other things. Truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. The words verily or verily, verily are used over and over through John's gospel, meaning truly, truly. He wants us to understand what he's writing is absolute, proven, hard facts. We come here, and I I say all that because it's going to be important in us understanding John's character. Can you see the correlation between truth and humility? I believe with all of my heart what is key for all of us To be humble is a love of truth. And the more we get a hold of the truth, the more elevated God's Son is going to be in our minds and the more decreased are we going to be in our own minds and truth was was there and therefore love must be perfected by the truth and all those things feed together as we look at John's character in verse 9. It's no wonder God used John so greatly. It's no wonder you find a man in the Spirit. I believe all the things we just mentioned are going to be what has to be in a life if we're going to walk with the Holy Spirit of God. John the Baptist said, He, speaking of Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. And John the Baptist was a man filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And so let's consider this tonight. Verse 9, John's character. He says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. How many of you, number one, if you've paid attention to your flesh or you just pay attention to the world we live in, have noticed that many times in our world today we have a hunger for Christian superheroes. Does Does that resonate with anybody? We have a desire to be like the world in this way. The world has their heroes, and we need our heroes. Now, I understand there are people that are extremely influential in our lives. I believe this, though, in Christianity, 
those who decide I want to be a Christian superhero really can't be. (laughs) Because he that will be great among you must be servant of all. So here you have a man, John. I'm trying to imagine what Revelation would read like in 21st century American Christianity. I, John, was in the isle called Patmos. I, John who have suffered probably more than any other of the disciples because of my long life. I, John, who was the one closest to me, let me preface why you should listen to the book of Revelation. I'm the one that leaned on his bosom and was told about Judas before anybody else. I've got special insight to Christ that probably the average Christian just couldn't have. I, John, who am the... Look, he says he's a companion in tribulation. Last time I checked, he was alone on that island. You know, how many of you understand, we like to project ourselves as being unique, especially in Christianity. I have a unique take on Christianity, which makes me more influential and better to be listened to than you. That's, that's flesh. That's flesh. It's, it's in all of us, but when the Spirit of God is in control, that's got to go away. I'm just trying to think what John would say now. You know what John says? I'm one of you. I, John, who also am your brother. He doesn't say, I, John, who also am your father. So now we have one God and father of all. That's Jesus Christ. I'm John, your brother. You can see that Roman Catholicism had no place in his heart. In Catholicism, he would have been a cardinal or an archbishop. But in Christianity, he's just a brother. I, John, who also am your brother. Then he goes on to say, and companion in tribulation. You know, I believe John was probably being uniquely targeted as the last living apostle. He could have written a number of things about himself that separated him from other people. But that would make him more like an apostate than a Christian. Apostates, Jude said, are these that separate themselves. Meaning, I've got to come up with something so unique about my brand of Christianity that it makes me superior to all other writers and teachers. May I say this? You say, how can I, how can I peg a book that's written for my supposed spiritual admonition and exhortation and edification that's not going to be good for me. I would say, I remember years ago a book, a book being put in my hand about child training, and I'm certain it was the Holy Spirit of God giving warnings because that book has been very influential on many Christians and had great detriment on them as it relates to them and the local church and even some of the methods that are being taught for child training and so forth. And I remember that book being put in my hand and said, oh, this will transform. We just had case, and I think, at the time. And I opened up, and I kid you not, the first couple of pages said, this is why we are more qualified to write on this subject than other people. We now have children that have turned out very well. And one book they write on marriage, they claim to have had a perfect marriage for 20 years. Now, you can call me a cynic, but that's the point. I put that book, and I file it in a box under my desk called a garbage can. So that's narrow-minded, Pastor. I understand. I have a tendency to be that way. But for that book, I got to the introduction. My, I told my wife, I said, I'm not reading this book. I'm not reading it because by the, what you can hear is, let me say why anybody else that's been trying to teach you about child training didn't get it and why we do. Not let's, And they do talk about the Bible and the, and the things that the Bible has to say. But for all of us, again, that doesn't mean those particular people were apostate. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying... That's not what you hear in John. He's writing what's going to be uh, the last book in our Bible. And the last thing I hear coming from John is, let me tell you how impressed you ought to be with me, John. John says, I, John, who also, he said, I, John, uh, uh, who also am your brother. So he says, I'm I'm another member in the family and companion in tribulation. He said, I am a companion with you. 
You're suffering tribulation, so am I. Is this not another way you and I sometimes get pride creeping in? When we believe that our troubles are greater than other people's troubles. When we think, did not Elijah get in trouble when he thought he was the only one suffering for the Lord? But may I say, one of the, how many ever get, grab a thermometer and stick it under your arm or under your tongue or on your head or wherever you put your thermometer, whatever, maybe when you got one that kind of just squeezed the trigger and it tells you, I don't know. How I many of you grab a thermometer because you think, man, I feel, I feel hot, now I'm chilled, now I'm hot, now I'm chilled, and you know something physically is wrong with you. Well, I believe spiritually we ought to know something is wrong with us when we begin to feel superior spiritually. When we begin to feel that my, my gifting or my tribulation makes me superior to other Christians. And I can only say I'm testifying tonight. I, I've had many a season in my Christian life where the Lord's had to deal with me because for whatever reason, in my life, I think I have a superior understanding or I have a superior tribulation. I believe no one would probably be more qualified to speak of their superiority than John, but he refuses to do it. He says, I, John, am also your brother and companion in tribulation. He doesn't go on and say, you wouldn't believe how hard things are on the Isle of Patmos. You wouldn't believe how I've been singled out by the government. Is that what John writes about? How's it costing you tonight? There's a lot of well-intended, sincere Christians who've gotten all, all stirred up and pinned up believing that their lot in life is to deal with the government. And I understand we must respond to the government. We need to be honest. We need to be true. We need to be a good testimony. When they're evil, we need not to go along. I believe all of that. But if we're not careful, you know what John could have done? He could have written a diatribe on how wicked the Roman government was and he would have had every right to write it. He was being treated not only badly, but probably illegally, according to their own laws. But he didn't go into that because it wasn't about John. He he relates to the Christian by the relation to Christ. I am your brother. Why Why would he say that? He's writing to other people who had faith in Jesus Christ, other family members in God's family. I am your companion in tribulation. You're going through hard times for Christ. I'm going through hard times for Christ. I believe he's saying, I know what you're going through. I'm writing to you. I understand what you're going through. I'm a companion in tribulation. And then he goes on and says, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. This brings us right to his point. I'm your brother because of our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm your companion in tribulation because we're part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But he says kingdom and, what's the other word? Patience. The word patience is almost always in the New Testament related to waiting for Christ's return. I would say John was thinking, Lord, I mean, it's what he says. Even so, come quickly. Sometimes we don't want him to come quickly because we're so attached to what's here. What John have to be attached to? A deserted island. <laughs> Even so, it come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so we see in John's character, first and foremost, what stands out to me in verse 9 is his humility. I believe this tonight. If God's going to use us, God is not looking for men great enough to use. He's looking for men small enough to use. I believe it was Hudson Taylor that said that. He said, God looked for someone weak enough he could use, and he found me. We think God is like the recruiter at the at the uh, the uh, the U.S. Army or the U.S. Marine Corps or at the, the the Major League Baseball team. He is looking for someone who just has the most powerful handle on Scripture, who has more stamina than others. God is looking for people who are weak enough to depend upon Him. And in John, He found one. 
He found a man who did not, unlike Peter, his fellow laborer, who said, I am the disciple who loves Jesus. John said, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Meaning, that could sound proud in itself. He thought he was the only one Jesus loves? No. His emphasis was not on how much he loved. His emphasis was on the love of Christ. I believe John knew his love was not what Jesus' love was. So he would have to relate that. Well, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. What was special to him is that Christ would love me. And so then we see John's humility, not only here, but in the Gospel of John. It's no wonder God used him so greatly. It's no wonder that when it comes to the 12, no one was closer to Jesus than John. None. Turn, if you would, with me very quickly to Isaiah. We read this verse often, but John, I believe, is an illustration of this truth. John is about to have some very special communication with the Lord. He's going to reveal to us some things that God decided, I want to reveal what I'm going to do in the future, and I'm going to pick one person on earth to pin this down for me. What was God looking for to commune so closely? We'll find throughout the book of Revelation, John's eyes are on earth, next thing you know, he's in heaven. Then he's on earth and then he's in heaven. He's right at the throne of God. John becomes eyes and ears for you and I into the future of what God's going to do. Wouldn't you like for God to reveal secrets to you like that? The Bible tells us that he that abideth in, under the shadow, of the, I didn't write it down, under the shadow of the Almighty, uh, he, the, the, he talks about that's the secret place with God. Uh, Proverbs, I believe, talks about that he gives his secret to those that fear him. Those who have an attitude of reverence and fear God are those that God gets very close to and tells secrets to. He reveals those things to. And I'm not talking about being superior. That was never John's goal, obviously. But look at Isaiah 57:15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. How would you feel if of all 12 disciples, Jesus chose you to say, now I'm leaving and I need someone to take care of my mother. You're the one. What could you do to prove to the Lord you are qualified enough to be trusted like that? Have the attitude John did. I'm not the one who loves Jesus. I'm the one he loves. I'm not a. I'm not somebody special. I'm your brother. I'm not superior. I'm. I'm no better than you. And he wasn't. How many ever? How many of us? I started to say. How many have ever had somebody say something like that? Let's just pick on ourselves. How many of us have ever said something like that? Well, I'm nobody. I mean, you know, I'm a nobody. You know when we normally say that when we think we are somebody. We're trying to cover our pride by saying, "Oh, you know, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody." I'm just. I'm confessing tonight. It's best just to be a nobody. Amen. And we're constantly saying it. We probably think we're not. We're ready for somebody to correct us and say, no, no, you're great. Oh, don't, please. Don't say that, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> right? That's our, that's our old flesh. But here's John who had realized the greatness of Jesus Christ. It is in the face of Jesus Christ that you and I can realize who we really are. John had a grasp of how great the Lord Jesus Christ was. He's about to get a better grasp of it. But we find John's humility... He is a fulfillment of Isaiah 57, 15. He, you're going to find him dwelling in the, in, in, the, in the high place with God. God speaking to him, revealing to him some things revealed to nobody else and having him pin them down in Scripture. And so as we approach this book, I think if we want to get blessed by this book like John did, guess what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to approach it with John's mentality. 
It's not, the, it's not the depth of intelligence that is the key to unlock the book of Revelation. It is the presence of humility to say, I need God to teach me. We're just brethren waiting for our Lord's return. We're citizens in, in the kingdom. We're waiting for the, with patience for the return of Christ. We're going to have to share in his disposition, which we'll talk a little bit more about in verses 10 through 16, if we're going to have the same blessings. And so we see John's humility Letter B, under his character, we not only see his humility, but we see his honor. I'm going to give three points to describe his honor. Two of those have to do with the honor he gives. One has to do with the honor he receives. First of all, you find in the way he, he pins this honor for his fellow servants, you find respect for the brethren by John putting brethren on the same shelf with him. He said, I'm your brother. That was not only a statement of humility for himself, it was a statement of honor for others. The Bible talks about honoring brethren. We're to honor one another. We are to, by love, serve one another. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each... What's the next word? Esteem. Mean put a high value on, honor others, esteem other better than himself, themselves. And so uh, John here is honoring the brethren. How many of you... How many have ever had somebody that you had a tremendous amount of respect for treat you like a peer? If you've never had that, that is a that is a tremendous encouragement. If you're a young, I know as a young preacher, I've had some preachers that I'm just happy that I can be in the same room with them because they've been preaching longer than I've been alive, or they have they have a, a working Bible knowledge and fruit in the ministry that I'm watching. Say, man, I want to learn from you, and then they sit down and talk with you at the table as if you are just a brother. You know why they do that? It's what they believe. It's, it's part of why they've been so fruitful. Because they've not seen, I am building myself a little kingdom here on earth whereby I can rule and govern all my brethren. They're saying, I've been given some gifts whereby I can serve my brethren. John honors the brethren. He's writing to seven different churches, likely churches he'd already ministered in, and he's saying to them, I am your brother. I am your companion. We're in this together. I mean, companion tribulation, that is a statement of honor for his fellow servants. Part of loving the brethren is putting a high mark value on brethren, saying, you know what? If they're a member in the family of God, I have high esteem for them. And so then we see honor for the, his fellow servants. We see his honor for the Savior. He says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He said, let me explain to you why I'm where I am. I'm on the isle that's called Patmos. Here he is on the Lord's day and the only person to assemble with on the Lord's day was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> He's exiled. John can't even go to church. His life has been about planting churches, caring for churches. He can't go to church. He has to write to churches because he can't go. But here he is. He said, I want you to explain why I, I want to explain why I am where I am. He said, I'm here for the word of God. You know what John is saying? Do you, does, does anyone hear in verse 9 any tone of regret, frustration, bitterness, anger? No, I don't, I don't hear that in his writing. I don't, I don't hear that in his tone. He said, I'm here for the word of God. You know what he's saying? I, the word of God is worth suffering for. The word of God is so important that it's worth being exiled to an island to be faithful to. We, I'm, I'm going to say this right spirit, but we have folks today 
in, in American Christianity who won't lose part of their schedule for the Word of God, let alone their comfort and where they live. John said, for, for loyalty to God's Word, I'm where I'm at. That tells us had he compromised the Word of God, he wouldn't have had to be here. But if he wouldn't, he couldn't have been used to give us the book of Revelation. God used his unique circumstances. You know what? You'd have to be alone with the Lord to get what John got in the book of Revelation. You're not going to get that on a busy street. (laughs) God allowed a cruel and wicked and evil government to deal with John unjustly so that God could do more richly through John's life to our benefit 2,000 years later. And John says, the word of God is worth suffering for. It's worth being isolated for. It's worth... How much... Look... What could be worse in life than loneliness? You find someone who's been married for 45 years and they lose their mate and you'll hear some things about loneliness. I I can't understand loneliness. I'm surrounded by people all the time. Loneliness is not a problem for me or my wife. We're not lonely. So I can't, when people are lonely, it's one of those areas that's like, I I really can't relate to you. The Lord Jesus can. I, I can't. But loneliness is a terrible thing. It's a, it is a tormenting thing. And John could have got out of this loneliness if he had just compromised the Word of God. Had he, it is John who said with Peter when told to stop preaching the resurrection, he says, you judge. Should, should we obey God or men? We ought to obey God rather than men. Meaning they told John and Peter, quit preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they said, you've told us to not do what Jesus told us to do, so you do to us much you must, but we're going to be loyal to His Word. I wonder this, I've heard this asked before. If in the United States of America, publicly witnessing or telling others of the truth of the resurrection became outlawed, how many people's lives who claim to be Christians wouldn't be changed one iota? Well, they outlawed something I don't do. (laughs) You know what? Laws against marijuana, they don't affect me. I I don't mess with it. Laws about, you know... Being drunk, that don't don't affect me. Laws about stealing, that doesn't really affect me. Or you, praise God. (laughs) Why? Because that's not what we do. Laws about stopping preaching the gospel put John in prison. All they told John and Peter to do is quit preaching the resurrection. He had already gone to prison for the word of God. Now he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos. History tells us he was boiled in oil for it. I think John loved the word of God. He said, if you want me to go along with something that calls what God says a lie, I can't know. It's no wonder he was entrusted with writing this book. God had somebody he knew was not going to add to or take away one thing that God said. May I just remind us tonight as Christians, our loyalty is to the word of God. Our devotion is to what God says, not to, to how people feel. I love people, but we've gotten into a day where so much of the loyalty is really self-centered to where it's, I want at the end of the day to be a success and there's so much humanism that's crept into our thinking that we've forgotten that yes, we must love people, but the way we love people is by being loyal to God's word. Our loyalty is the word of God. So John, by being on the Isle of Patmos is a symbol and a source of honor, not only to his fellow servants by what he says, but to his Savior by what's taking place. He's exiled for the word of God. And then he goes on to say, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Why does he say both of these? Is there some difference between the testimony of Jesus Christ and the word of God? 
No, we went through that and we opened up the book of Revelation. What he's, what he's revealing is the fact that the word of God given to us by the testimony of Jesus Christ, and you notice in the Gospels it'll say uh, as it is written and then it compares it to what Jesus says and always they're in complete agreement, meaning Jesus came and brought what word from God only he could bring because he was in the bosom of the Father, he says. And so the testimony of Jesus Christ and the word of God, they're the same, but Jesus Christ as the Son of God, a man, God of the flesh, came and gave testimony to the Word of God. And John says, I'm not just loyal to the Word of God in general. I'm loyal to the Word of God at the mouth of Jesus Christ. I, I was talking to a man today and asked him about his salvation. And I said, "How? what is God's condition for us receiving forgiveness of sins? He said, faith. I said, okay, that is true on its face. But faith in, in who? And he said, God. At which point I said, yeah, but to some degree the devils have that. James says, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe, and they not only believe, and tremble. I mean, demons have a lot more respect for God than most people do. <laughs> That's not enough. Faith in, faith in the existence of God, even faith in God's character is not salvation. Faith in God's Son is salvation. John said, I am here not only for generally being loyal to the Word of God, but you cannot be loyal to the Word of God and not be loyal to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen? I, I had a question recently. Here's, and this is a very instructive now. I want you to hang with me here if you would. The question was, and I've mentioned this recently, but the question was, do, do Judaizers of today, Judaism of today, and Christianity, do we worship the same God? Now, I want you to think about the question and every word in that question. Does Judaism and Christianity today worship the same God? What say you? Can we be definitive on that? Absolutely. We do not worship the same God. Number one, Judaism today does not worship God. They rejected him when they pinned him on a tree 2,000 years ago. There are Jews today who get saved, praise God. People who get saved out of Judaism like they get saved out of Catholicism or Mormonism. But just because Judaism has part of the Old Testament Bible, Jesus said, if they hate me, they hate him who sent me. Meaning, and by the way, by its religious position, Judaism of today rejects Jesus Christ as a fraud. So John says, I wasn't just in trouble. I'm not just here for the word of God. I am. But specifically for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Meaning, not only for the written word of God, not only for the Old Testament word of God, but for the incarnate word of God. The word of God in human form, Jesus Christ. Amen. I know it's not capitalized there, but the idea is the testimony of Jesus Christ he gets very specific. He is there and he honors his fellow servants, those who are his brothers and companions in tribulation. And in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, he speaks in honor and his life speaks in honor for the Savior. By the way, no greater honor for the Savior than our willingness to suffer for his word and for his sake. You know what? Our love is demonstrated by what our love for something or someone costs us. Very easy to stand in front of a bunch of people and say, in sickness and in health and in wealth and poverty until death us do part. 
Anybody can say those words. But if you watch somebody, I know of a, a missionary, uh, I don't know him personally, attended to his wife's health for years and years and years until the day the Lord took her home. You've heard stories like that of men who are faithful to a wife or a wife who is faithful to a husband when they were getting nothing in return but burdens. That kind of sacrifice reveals a depth of love, does it not? If I love the Lord Jesus until he costs my pocketbook, my love isn't very much. But when I'm willing to honor him by the cost in my life, my cost doesn't save me. My cost reveals how worthy he is who, who saved me. And that's John. His, his, his cost for the Lord is an honor to the Savior. And so we see his humility, we see his honor, and then thirdly, we can see in these verses his holiness. John is not just there because he... You know, there were people crucified next to the Lord Jesus who had opposed the Roman government. Barabbas was going to be crucified because he was part of an insurrection. He was trying to overthrow the government, and in the insurrection, somebody was murdered. And therefore, he was put on trial and was going to be... Uh, he was going to be crucified, and the Lord Jesus took his place. But Barabbas was not holy in his, in his being crucified. He had what was coming. We see John's holiness in, in the same thing we see his honor in. It was not, there's nothing holy in being prosecuted by a government. There's nothing holy inherently in suffering. Can we all agree with that? But there is something holy in suffering for righteousness' sake. First Peter talks about that. Second Peter talks about that. It's one thing if we bear well under a difficult time when we've done something wrong. If we're rebuked for doing wrong, well, we bear it well, that's good. But it's when we suffer for righteousness' sake that there's something sanctified and holy about that. And John says, I was in the Isle called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. You find John here in in fellowship, as we mentioned at the beginning of this message, John here in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He's at the right place, doing the right thing, with the right attitude at the right time because he's in the Spirit. He is walking with God. He is, he is not where he got to by being fleshly. He was not being sinful and then prosecuted for being sinful. No, he was doing what was right and being persecuted for what is righteous. May I say this? There is grace to bear tribulation when you're in tribulation for the right reason. One of the reasons we don't have grace to bear our troubles is we didn't get there by following the Spirit. We got there by following our flesh. But we are prone to spiritualize every trouble we have because that makes us look good. You hear John's attitude here? I don't find that he's upset with God. God, I've been loyal to you. I preached and did what was right, and this is what I get. Exiled in the Isle of Patmos, what a way for an old man to live his life and end his days. I was loyal to you all my days. I've suffered for you. Can I not just retire in peace? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Here's a man, if one to murmur, he'd have every right to do so. But come the Lord's day, he is in fellowship with the Lord. I'll say briefly, it is my belief, it's never spelled out explicitly, but it is my persuasion, I should say, probably not as strongly as some other things, because it's not spelled out, you have to have some deductive reasoning. I can find no other reference here to being the Lord's Day than it being the first day. I'll probably take some time next week to explain why from the New Testament we believe this reference to, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, not a reference to the Sabbath day. 
I don't find that to be the case. That's never called that in the New Testament at all. Some would say, well, he sanctified that day. He did, and he set it apart as a sign. Exodus 33 makes it very clear, and Jeremiah, a sign for the nation of Israel. The Sabbath day is never for the local church. Never referenced that way. We never commanded to keep it. It was a sign. It's amazing to me. Those who press keeping the Sabbath day have never learned its meaning. The word Sabbath means what? Worship. Nope, that's not what it means. It means rest. I've never yet a Sabbath keeper met one yet who's resting in the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. It is his sacrifice plus how they keep his commandments that's going to get them to heaven. I've never met a Sabbath keeper yet who is resting solely in the work of Jesus Christ for their salvation. I'm not saying one doesn't exist. I've never met one. If you can scratch on down below the surface, they say, yes, you are saved by grace through faith, but that faith must keep his commandments or you're not really saved. I had a Sabbath keeper this week, this last week, trying to. Con- he just gave me some information and was talking about 1 Corinthians 3 and that if your works are found to be wood, hay, and stubble, you're going to suffer the wrath of God. Tell me, Bible student, is that correct? No, that is not correct. Wood and stubble has to do with my works being tried, not me being tried. That is for the believer. And that same text goes on to say, yet he shall be saved, but so is by fire. Meaning, you're not going to be lost if your works are wood, hay, and stubble. You're just going to lose your works. My point is this tonight. John's in the spirit on the Lord's day. And we'll, again, I think I'll just wait till next week to say more about that. But where he's at, he's on the aisle called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. But as such, in the circumstance he is, his circumstances did not hinder his fellowship with God. In the spite of being under persecution, in spite of being alone, in spite of being away from everyone who loved him and he loved, in spite of being away from his life's work, in spite of being abused by a wicked government, in spite of all of that, he's still in the spirit. As Christians, an immature Christian says, my circumstances determine my spirituality. Only an immature Christian can think that. Because who shall separate us from the love of God? Tribulation, persecution, life, death, angels, principalities, meaning Satan can't break your fellowship with the Savior. Your circumstances can't. His love for you is abiding and constant, and therefore we can abide and be constant in our fellowship with him. Don't buy the lie of the devil that if I have bad circumstances, I've got a permission slip to have a bad attitude. (laughs) That's not of God. And I say this to point out John's holiness. And so then um, we can see that uh, these points demonstrate in John's life in a number of places. If you want to write it down for your notes sake, the times that John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, John 13, 23, John 20, verse 2, John 21, verse 7, John 21, verse 20. So that's John 13, 23, John 20, verse 2, John 21, verse 7, John 21, verse 20. Uh, he referred himself in the second person as the disciple whom Jesus loved, not willing to name himself. You see all those things, uh, these attributes in his life then. Now, my question is this. Which caused which? Did his closeness to the Savior bring about his humility and honor and holiness or did the humility and the honor and the holiness get him closer to the Savior? <laughs> well, number one, he couldn't have had anything, any of those things without the Savior. I think it was his willingness to let the Savior have his way with him that drew him closer. And then you see the character of Christ stamped on John. Do you not see the life of Jesus Christ coming through John? Who's more humble in a servant? than? Do you know that the Lord Jesus told the disciples on the morning of his resurrection, he told the ladies... Go tell my brethren, I go to your father and their father. You know, he's saying, I am your brother. 
our brother, you're our creator. Who more humble than Christ? So the closer we get to Christ, guess what? The more we become like him. We are who we hang around, are we not? We're like who we hang around. Many times who we spend time with tells in our life, doesn't it? I spend all my time about around arrogant, God-denying, God-hating people. Evil communications will corrupt good manners. But if I'll spend time with the Savior, He'll transfer His character to me. We find the Lord Jesus constantly. He, when you look at how He treated the disciples, He treated them with honor, even when they didn't deserve it. Uh, he, treated them, he treated them sometimes with a rebuke. But the point would be this. We see the character of Christ on John. It may be true in us. That's as far as we'll make it tonight. Next week we'll pick up on John's comprehension, verses 10 through 16. He's in the right frame of heart and mind to hear from the Lord. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's day with honor for the Savior, a right attitude toward the saints. What a lesson for us about how to show up on the Lord's day around each other. There wasn't a saint around, but he's going to be ministering to the saints by writing, and his heart's attitude is right for the Lord to work through him. And so next week we'll pick up on John's comprehension.